for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Amen. Well, we're beginning a new, ser- new series. Um, who am I? Who am I? Good question to ask. Very good question to ask. Who are you? I wonder if I went round the, the room this morning and asked different, that question of different ones. You, you might use all sorts of descriptions. You might describe yourself in terms of your family. You might describe yourself in terms of your, your job. Or you might describe yourself in terms of your education. You might describe yourself in terms of uh, your hobbies. Uh, in different ways we can ask that of one another. So, who am I? We're, in this series, we're going to be looking at what it means, particularly as a Christian. But this morning, we're looking at who am I, the big question mark ho- over us in general. Those of us here, those outside who don't know Jesus, who am I? And then next week, the following three, four, five weeks, we shall be looking at who am I as a Christian? Because there are Christians who come to know the Lord and yet struggle again with who am I? Who am I meant to be? What am I meant to be doing? And hopefully in this series we'll discover something of what it means to be made in the image of God, what it means to be in Christ, that new creation, and and what that means for us personally and corporately uh, together. So, big question. Who am I? Who are we? What am I doing here? What are you doing here? You might say, well, I came along because somebody else brought me. But... uh, There are other bigger questions that are involved, even in something like that. These are the big questions of life. They're they're important questions. You don't have to travel far. You don't have to know many people. You've only got to know yourself that that question is a very real and a valid question. And it's a question that needs an answer. And the answer that we give to it will impact the way that we live our lives. So it's a very important question. Who am I? And this morning we're looking particularly at man. Coincidence or created? Am I just a coincidence? Am I here as a result of a whole lot of happenings that have taken place down through uh, you know, billions of years and suddenly at this point of time I happen to be born into this world because of certain things that have coincided at that particular point and so I'm here but I have no idea why I'm here or what I'm meant to be doing here or where I'm going. It's seen in our desire for significance, for self-worth, for self-esteem. And today, perhaps more than ever, in a, in a world where we have everything uh, that is deemed to make life meaningful, in other words, uh, a home, food and drink, clothing, education, money, etc., uh, etc., et a job, somehow we are still not satisfied. People are still looking for real significance, for value, for meaning, for worth, and that big word, dignity. Without it, this world just seems somehow cold and inviting. And Pam and I were sitting down and talking last night. And we were saying, I can't imagine a world without God. I'm not sure that I would want to live in such a world. These are, these are big questions. And it's strange that the more godless the, the world is becoming, somehow the more piercing, the more shrill that those questions seem to get. Who am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose of it all? And the reality is, no one of us wants to be a nobody. We want to be a somebody. I want to be somebody. The fact is, we we want our lives to count in some way. And the hunger uh, for significance can propel people in all sorts of directions to do, yes, amazing things. They may build big businesses. They may go on exploration to to parts of planet Earth that people have never done before because there's a sense of adventure of wanting to inquire. But even then, even with all of that, somehow it seems that we are not satisfied. You can have millions stacked in the bank. You can have property all over the place. You can have a home filled with all sorts of things uh, which the world would say would make you uh, somehow give you some sense of significance and meaning and yet somehow it doesn't. The question is still there waiting uh, to be answered. 
And if it's just for the here and now, actually, what does it matter? Why should I care about you? Why should you care about me? Why should you care about your neighbor? Why should you care about your colleagues? If you can use them to get from where you want, does that matter? And even in death, somehow we, we want to, to know that this is not all that there is. You only have to go and read the obituary columns in the newspapers to, to find that somehow people want to know that their loved one has gone somewhere. Gone somewhere meaningful. Somehow within us, it, there's this kind of knowledge that this isn't all that there is, that there is more to it than this, but what is it and where is it and how do you get to it? I think of the story of a padre many years ago who was in the army, padre in the army, and he was serving out in the, the Middle East, and, uh, and, and an atheist came to him one day and he said, look, he said, when I die, he said, I don't want any of that religious stuff. And the padre said to him, that, that's, that's okay, that's, that's not a problem. We'll, we'll just dig a hole and throw you in it and say that's the end of him. At which point he suddenly responded and said, oh no, no, uh, can we have something a bit more than that? See, some way or other he wanted his life to count. Even at the end he, he wanted somehow his life to count. But actually a life without God means nothing. Chuck him in the ground. Say, well that's the end of him. He lived, he died, he's gone, let's get on with life. But somehow we, within us, even within that atheist, there was that sense of, Life must be more than this at this moment in time. It's more than just chucking me in the ground saying that's, that's the end of him. So who am I? Is it, is it what I do? You know, father, mother, teacher, accountant, mechanic, gardener. But what if those things stop? You know, we've, we've raised three children. When you've got children, a lot of life is centered around raising those children. And then they... They leave the nest. And it's like, who are we now? Who are we now? Yes, we're still their mum and dad, but somehow something has changed. It may be that you, you lose your job. A job in which you found your identity. And everything was about that job. And then suddenly, something happens to the, to the, 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 the place you're working. The business folds up and you've lost your job. Maybe it's, it's my education and we live in a world where the, the pursuit of education is, is right there. And if you've got one degree, you get another degree. But then what happens if I, I lose my mind? What happens if I can't do that anymore? Maybe it's the sum of my health and my fitness. But then what, what if I fall sick? What if I, I can't run or play like I used to? Maybe it's, it's my wealth. It's my bank balance. But then what if I lose it? I can't take it with me anyway. What if it's the sum of my possessions? But they can be so temporal as well. There can be a fire and suddenly things that you treasured and held precious memories for you are gone. Who am I? If I am what I do, I will just keep doing more to get value. That's how I will add value to myself. If I am what others say about me, then I will keep seeking to please people and live up to their expectations. That's very demanding. But there are people who live like that. Shakespeare covered this in his play Macbeth. And uh, he uses a description of an aspiring actor. And this is what this actor says. So this actor is aspiring to be somebody on the stage. He's aspiring to portray a character and he's aspiring for, for the fact that he will get the, the reward of the praise of people and he will be seen to a good, be a good actor. But listen, out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Wow. So he gets his hour upon the stage and people look at him and applaud him and think of him as somebody. But then one day, it's gone. He can't do it anymore. The applause is no longer there. It signifies nothing. 
Reminds me of part of the Bible. Anybody know which part I might be thinking of? Ecclesiastes. Have you read Ecclesiastes? In the old version, I used to love it. It kind of flows nicely, doesn't it? But it says this. It says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In other words, it's pointless. So here you have this man who we presume was Solomon, who, who had all the wealth he could want, who had wives aplenty, who had wisdom, who had all sorts of stuff. You know, he, he had it all. Philosophy, etc., etc. And he says, what's the point? What's the point? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. One day it's gone. I'm no more. We're no more. What's the point of life? And at the end of the book, you read these words, and they are imprinted indelibly on my mind through hearing preachers as a kid. Never went to Sunday school. I always sat in meetings. And I remember a preacher, probably more than one, saying, coming to that last chapter, and it says there, what does it say? It says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh. And then it goes into a very graphic description of getting old. Very graphic indeed. But this was the sum. So here is this man who had everything in so many ways in the world's terms. And yet he says, it's, it's vanity. There is no, no, no value to it, no worth to it. What's the point of it all? And at the end, praise God, he reaches this point where he says, remember, now your creator in the days of your youth. Socrates said, the unexam- unexamined life is not worth living. Sadly, there are too, peop- too many people around who, who are afraid of the big questions. They have this question, who am I? But they're afraid to face it because of what the answer may be. But you see, the unexam- unexamined life is not worth living. If we want to make our lives count, it pays to examine them, to ask the big questions of our lives to plumb the depths of these questions and and see what the answer may be. And I've said it to young people. I've said, look, you can go and pose these questions to different religions. Ask them all. Ask them of Christianity. Does it answer them? What kind of answer does it give? Is it a satisfying answer? If I'm a coincidence, and that's a concurrence of events or circumstances without any apparent causal connection, then I'm simply here by accident. It wasn't intended. It just happens to be. If that applies to me, then it applies to you. It applies to every one of us. That means we we don't know where we've come from. We don't know who we are. We don't know why we're here. And we certainly don't know where we're going. There's no guide. There's no authority. You just make it up as you go along. Life is simply what you make it. And that's what a lot of people are doing. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's a pretty hopeless scenario. And remember this, it must work whether you're rich or poor. It must work whether you're educated or not. It must work whether you have or have not. It must work in sickness and in health and wherever you find yourself. So these questions must work in any given situation. They must work here in the affluence of the United Kingdom. They must work out there in Syria and Iraq, those places where there's so much trouble and strife going on. These questions must be able to work and the answers be the same in each given circumstance. Somehow we feel that life is, is more than that. We're not content with an, an animal existence. It's evidenced by the fact that wherever you go, you'll, you'll find some kind of belief in a higher power. You don't have to traverse far around the world. You don't have to read much to find that people are looking for something that is outside of and beyond themselves that gives some kind of meaning to who I am and why I'm here and what I'm meant to be doing and where I'm going. We're living in an age where people want to know where they've come from. You you turn on the television and you find celebrities trying to find what their roots are. 
What is, the, my, what is my genealogy? Where have I come from? What makes me who I am today? Some in the world of science, and I say some because not all would say, it, well, it, ju- it just happened. It's all an, an accident. There was a bang. And then, and then, and then. And even then, there's no actual agreement between the sciences as to how that happened. The cosmologists will differ from the paleontologists who will also differ from the geologists and so on. It should be remembered that science is subject to change. We thank God for science. You know, we don't denigrate science, but we need to keep it in context. We need to understand that science doesn't know everything. It can't provide us with all of the answers. It's subject to change. And that there is no, no, no... How can I put it? There is no unified understanding in science of how we're here. And yet you can watch your television and that's the impression that you're given. That scientists agree on how the world came into being and how it evolved and how we're here today. If you look at the sciences, there is no unified theory unified theory of evolution. And every scientist brings his, pre- or his or her presuppositions to it. So if you say, well, there's no God, you'll look at the data and you'll work it out to say that there is no God. And yet a Christian might look at it in a different angle and say, well, I believe in a God and actually by taking this data I can understand it in this way. So our presuppositions affect the way we read the data that's available to us all. And we need to understand that. At the end of the day, science can only take us so far. And there have been some great Christian scientists. And it is right that Christians, and we should affirm science, and people should go into science and and study and explore. God made us to do that kind of thing. But science cannot give us all the answers. It it can't answer this question ultimately, who am I? It's outside of its sphere of research and understanding. At the end of the day, we need something more than science. We need revelation. We need something that's outside of ourselves to come to us and speak to us. And that's where this book comes in. That's where the Bible comes in. God has revealed himself and he has revealed something of his purpose in creation. It speaks of creation then. It paints an entirely different picture. It speaks of creation and not coincidence, of cause and not chaos, of purpose and not pointlessness, a creator and not simply an event. And where this message has been heard and received, it has lifted and enabled people to be better people, to fulfill a higher purpose, a more noble purpose. Now, the evolutionists might come back and say to you, say to us, say to me, well, actually, a large amount of our DNA we share with with the animal kingdom, with chimpanzees, or even with the vegetative kingdom, a cucumber. And that shouldn't be surprising. We shouldn't let that bother us because in actual fact, animals, plant life, we were made to live within the same environment. This is the air we breathe. We share it together. And yet, having said that, There is something that separates and distinguishes us from the rest of creation, from animal life and from plant life. There is within us that consciousness somehow of the, the only way I think we can describe it is the infinite. Something which, as far as we're aware, the animal kingdom doesn't know. And we'll see this perhaps a little bit later as we explore it further. Humans seek something beyond themselves. There's that grasping. There's that inner hole in each one of us which someone said only God can fill. And that's why it doesn't matter where you travel on planet Earth, you'll find 
a grasping for a God somewhere. The knowledge of somebody higher than ourselves, mightier than ourselves. Come with me to Psalm 8. One of my favorite psalms. If you haven't got a Bible, just sit and listen. But Psalm 8, it says this, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. And out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength because of your enemies to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have established... What is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you attend to him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever travels the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. I grew up in the country where we didn't have the light pollution that we have in the town. And I remember as a child, I, I used to love to go outside into the darkness. And there were times when it's dark. And look up into the sky and just look at the magnificent of all those twinkling little lights, all those stars to try and begin to count them. And as you're counting them, suddenly another one appears. Another one, another one, another one, another one, another one. And it becomes impossible. And you give up on it. You look at the Milky Way, that band running across there. Wow. Go to Africa and see it. Go to Australia. Some of your pictures, oh, Ashley, absolutely, you know. That's where it takes me. In the stars is handiwork, I see. And you look at all of that. And you, you think of the fact that we've, 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 we haven't just sent it. <laughs> Ten years ago, we sent a rocket up, didn't we? With the idea that it was going to get alongside a comet traveling at thousands of miles an hour. And then it was going to, uh, there was a, a lander going to come off that rocket and go down onto that comet and start taking pictures and sending them back for us. I think it's staggering that we could do that. But it does, result, it does require a consistency of universe in order to be able to do that. But uh, that's stepping aside. So here we are. The psalmist is saying, I, I look at these stars. And I'm amazed. God, you, you made all of this. And then I look at me. I look at my fellow humanity. And I say, God, if you made all of this, and it's glorious, what is it about me? What is it about us that you should... Attend to me. Wow. <laughs> That's wonderful, isn't it? What is man? You think about him, that you're mindful of him. So, here we are. We're exploring this question, and the Bible is a book of revelation. It goes beyond science. It goes where science can't go. It comes to us from God. It is God speaking. God, the God-breathed word. And in it, it starts at the beginning, doesn't it? Chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wow. That's quite a statement, isn't it? That's the curtain opener on life here on planet earth. And you read that. And it's staggering. It doesn't explain God right at the beginning. It takes him for granted. It just says, in the beginning, God. 
created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face, surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And as you move through that chapter, which becomes the backdrop for the unfolding story of God and man, as you move through that chapter, you find God speaking. And so it says, God said, let there be, and what happened? It was so. God said, let there be, and there was. It was so. And each time he said it, at the end, after it was done, he said, this is good. It's staggering. And we want to go to that and we were saying, God, can you explain yourself a little bit more? Can you give us a little bit more detail? Can you write the science into this? It's interesting that the more you delve into science, the more you get lost in the science and we become like this, ever-diminishing creatures. This starts, and God said... And when it gets to man, man is not a nobody, but he's a somebody. So God created. Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9 talk about, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Yeah. John 1, 3 says, all things were created through him. That is through Jesus. Colossians 1, verse 16, in him all things were made and they consist and there are other verses as well that you could uh, look at. In Acts, there's different reference where, references where Paul is uh, speaking to pagans or philosophers and, and he's saying to them, God. God. They would have had exactly the same questions that we do today. And so God created. Who is at the back of all this? God. It is him, in him, that we live and we move. And have our being. It's a scripture I frequently quote to myself or pray or praise or whatever. You know? Today I am living in God. It is Him, in Him, that we live and we move and have our being. Jonah found that out. When God commissioned him to go somewhere, he went somewhere else and he found God was there. You know? That's like us, isn't it? God created. And then secondly, as we read through these scriptures, we go through so the, the whole creation of, of the universe, of the heavens and the earth, etc., etc., uh, and just making planet Earth a particular place for a particular reason. And we come to it as we read down uh, to verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26. And then God said. So after he makes this wonderful environment, this is what... He says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the, imi in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the second thing that we need to note then is that humanity, mankind, was specifically created, was directly and distinctly created. That is contrary to ev evolutionary thinking. Evolutionary thinking would say, well, we, we've just developed along this particular line and this just happens to be where we are today and we don't know what we might evolve, evolve into in a hundred years' time or a, another thousand years or another billion years. Maybe we'll be alien monsters, you know, who can traverse the universe. But when you read the Bible, it talks about a distinct and a direct creation. The act of create act, creative activity here is very clearly separated from that of the animals. Suddenly, we get a change. And God said, let us make man in our image. And so man didn't evolve to become what he or she is today, but rather was specifically created. And then thirdly, the thing to note is, as you go over into the next chapter, and it unpacks it a little bit more, 
And you read in verse 7 of chapter 2, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. It doesn't say that of any other part of creation. It says it distinctly of man, that God breathed into him the breath of life, granting him a different kind of life to that of the animal world. Yeah? God takes this man that he has fashioned and he breathes into him the breath of life. He didn't do that to any other part of creation. And somehow that lifts man up and identifies him and makes him distinct from the rest of creation. And fourthly, we notice that he was made in the image of God. Now, Bible teachers and scholars have have plumbed this in all sorts of directions, trying to get at what this means. But in some way or other, it means we are like God. But we are not God because he has made us. And we are dependent on him. But in some way, when it says image, it means like So in some way or other, we are made like God. That's that's staggering, isn't it? Maybe you don't feel that this morning. But that's what Revelation, that's what the Bible says. That we have been made like God. And in that sense, we are, again, the pinnacle of God's creation. We are made to, to know God in a way that the rest of creation wasn't. Made in the image of God. So, fifthly, then, we were made to know God. We were made to know God. In other words, to know him and to live in a relationship with him. And then, sixthly, we were given dominion. So you read that there in As you go down at the end of chapter 1, God blessed them, verse 28, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, See, I've given you every plant yielding seed which is on the face of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth which has the breath of life in it. I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, this time, it was very good. Wow. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. So God makes man to reign as a vice-regent over the creation that he's made. We covered some of this when we were talking about the kingdom of God. But he's actually made man quite distinct from the animals and he's given him a responsibility above the animals, above creation itself, to reign over it, to rule it, to steward it. And, you know, know, sometimes it's good to have some spiritual imagination. I I imagine Adam and Eve going to to the Father when, you know, in the cool of the day when God used to come down and and talk to them. I I imagine them, you know, talking about different aspects of the world that God has placed them. How do we do this? And how do we do that? And what do you want there? And and, and so on. This, This interaction between God and those he has made in his image to have dominion over his creation. So, I want to just unpack a little bit more something of what it means to be made in the image of God. So we have likeness, we have similarity, we are meant to represent God to the world in which we live. It's, it's, something, it's something noble, it's something glorious. There is a, a quality to it. <laughs> I hope we can catch that this morning before we go out. This sense that we're meant to be glory reflectors. The glory of God. Made for the glory of God. And it's a bit like a, a mirror in some ways. It's an adequate expression. But, you know, as that mirror is, is focused on God and it reflects out to the world. 
And somehow we are, we are, God intends us to be his image bearers in this world. So that where, wherever we, we go, we're, we're carrying something of God. And, and God is being reflected to the world at large. So we're made to, to be like God, but we're not God. Either God is God or we, we, we make someone God who is after our own making. And usually that kind of God is quite accommodating because we want a God that suits us. And so we command our own destiny. Now, to be made in the image of God is to be made spiritual. That's another thing. That we don't see this of the animals, that they are spiritual entities. They're flesh and blood. They have life. But they're not spiritual. And it says, in, in John, it says that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. He doesn't have a body like we have. And so we're made in the image of God, and so God has imparted something of, of spirituality to us. And that's one of the things that those who study the Scriptures are try, try to grasp at. What does that mean? So we've been made spiritual beings. To be made in the image of of God is to reflect the community of being that he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That loving, holy, happy relationship that has been from all eternity and will be to all eternity. We've been made in the image of God. We've been made in the image of a triune God. And therefore, God's not made us as individuals. So when God created man and, and he was putting his mark on him and, and he, he looked at man and he, he realized that man couldn't identify with the animals. And yes, God came down to man, but that wasn't quite the same. And, and, and he was making him in, in his image. And, and he said, it's not good that this man should be alone. So the Bible tells us he made woman. Again, to be made in the image of God is to be made a moral being. To have a consciousness of of right and wrong. Every one of us carries that. There is no such thing as a, a, a being who has no morality amongst humans. If you plumb the depths of anybody anywhere, you'll find that somewhere or other they do believe that there is a line drawn, that this is right and that is wrong. It's seen also within the cry for, for justice in a part of all humanity. Justice is a big thing in the world in which we live, and yet justice doesn't make sense in an evolutionary world. Why should there be justice? If we're here by accident and life is what you make it, well... If I can use you to get where I want to, I don't care. Why should I care? It becomes a harsh world, an indifferent world, a cold world. But it's strange that wherever you go in humanity, there is this this desire for justice. Something happens and you see people speaking out. You see it on Twitter. You see it on the blogs. You see it in the news. That is because... We're made in the image of God. We're made moral beings with a consciousness of right and wrong. However that skewed that may be at this moment in time. We're made also with tremendous intelligence and rationality. Now some of these things you can find, if you like, in small measures in the the animal kingdom. You see that animals in some way feel for one another. Elephants experience sorrow when one of them's dying, etc. But you don't see it in the capacity that we have as humans. And that's the important thing. And it's not, it shouldn't be surprising that we see it in the animal kingdom because actually the world was made to reflect something of God. But humanity has far bigger capacities. Uh, the, the capacity for, for intelligence, for rational thinking. I've never yet come across a chimpanzee who has written a work on philosophy. I know I'm, I'm playing a game there. You know, but let's think of it in that way. 
We, we have the capacity to think beyond ourselves. We have the capacity to interact with all kinds of thoughts. Some of you who've done studies will know that. This amazing capacity that we have, the intelligence, the, the rationality. We have this ability to communicate, to construct language. And to enlarge our language in ever-increasing ways. Yes, we see it in the animal kingdom in, in a small measure. But it's nothing like it is in humanity. Something of the, the image of God. We, we are made with a tremendous appreciation of beauty. Yeah? How many of you love music? Yeah. How many of you love classical music? Yeah. How many of you love popular music? Well, that was, that was very... <laughs> Do you know, I expected more people to put their hands up for popular music in the earlier meeting and in this meeting and in both <laughs> meetings. It wasn't. Um, uh, but there are a whole there's a whole range of music, isn't there? Now, whales can make music. We know that from the recordings that they make. But it's limited, isn't it? We have this tremendous ability to, to, to make amazing music. You go and listen to Handel's Messiah. Just listen to the music. Listen to the words. You can't help but be awed. How many of you love art? I won't ask you which kind of, what kind of art you like, because there's a whole variety of art. But again, it's something that, that comes out of this being made in the image of God. You, you look at this world, he created it. Thank God he didn't make every flower a daffodil. You know? He didn't make every tree a, a Leylandi. Just imagine the problems. <laughs> neighbours falling out with neighbours even more, wouldn't you? Trees blocking my light. But God made in a world of immense variety and he's put something of that creative ability into, it, into us. You guys, well, that sounds sexist, doesn't it? Especially, you know, I mean, my, my play to some girls. Um, you know, cars. You know, a beautiful car. You know, I walk by some of them. I, wow, I, I love the lines of that. I don't know whether, do ladies think like this at all? Yeah? Do you ever look at cars and think, wow, the lines of that, the, the, you know, the dimensions of that, the balance of that, you know, the front and the back and the, you know, the, the, the interior, you know? Sure, there's some Top Gear fans here. Okay. But yeah, the, this creative ability that we have. Wow. So we could go on and I need to, to draw this in. We were made in the image of God for the glory of God. We're meant to be displaying his glory so that he gets more glory. Wow. Wow. The problem is, man turned his back on God. He dissed God in modern language. He walked away from what he had made him to be. He fell, and he fell completely. Fell in such a way that he could never pull himself up would need someone greater than himself to rescue him and restore him and renew him. And that's what the incarnation's about. That's what this big story is about. The drama of redemption. How God works to, to bring his son into this world who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus comes and he models God in our very midst. Just as the first man, Jesus, comes and suddenly God is imaged amongst humanity and again in a way which he hasn't been so since the garden. Everywhere Jesus goes, image of God. Hebrews says he is the image of the invisible God. Wow. Do you know, some people didn't even see it. 
Some people didn't even see it or notice. But he comes and he takes on our humanity. He takes on our our brokenness with God and in and of ourselves. He takes that brokenness and he lives here for us. He he faces everything that's about that brokenness. He experiences temptation and suffering in the way that we do. And he he takes it to himself and he, he goes to a cross and he dies for us. And he goes down into death, the very thing that God never wanted, that thing that ultimately... Uh, annihilates us, if you like, from the point of view of physical life. He, he, he goes down into that death and he beats the power of Satan, sin, death and hell. And he rises again. And he ascends into heaven so that there is now a man in the glory. Hmm. That's always a staggering thought to me. Jesus didn't stop becoming a man when he left earth. When he came to earth, he didn't stop being God. And when he went to heaven, he didn't stop being man. That's the encouragement of Scripture because there is one who feels with us, who sympathizes with us. And so Jesus comes to to redeem, to restore us in Christ. And so being being a Christian is a profound thing because it's to have the image of God fully restored in us. Yes, it, it's there in all the world, but it's, it's, been, it's been blurred. It's been, it's, been, it's been harmed in some way or other. Some way, it's, not, it's, it's lost, but it's not lost. But Jesus comes to restore it. So that now when we read the Scriptures, we read that he has predestined us to be like Jesus. Who was Jesus? The image of the invisible God. God amongst us. Wow. And that's not just in heaven, that's here and now. So, when you think of this question, who am I? This, this lifts us. It lifts our heads. It enables us to go out into the world knowing that we do have a history. Knowing that we do have meaning to our lives. We, we are made in the image of God. And he has redeemed us and re-stamping and reforming that image in us day by day. And we can walk with confidence in this world and we can serve with purpose because God has a purpose for every one of us. Hallelujah. Some of you may have read the book or seen the film Life of Pi and the author Jan Mattel put it like this in summarizing it. This is what he said. Number one, life is a story. Number two, you can choose your story. Number three, a story with God is the better story. Wow. Did you hear that? Life is a story. You can choose your story. A story with God is a better story. And he said this as well. He said you can view the world in different ways, historical, scientific, social, political, but there are limits to what you can do with a calculator or a hammer. You must make a leap of faith to get the full flavor of life. Wow. I like that. Maybe that you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You've been struggling with some of these things, and even now maybe there's questions. Well, that's where Alpha comes in. Go along to Alpha. Go to a community group. Talk to somebody. Come and speak to us. But you don't have to answer all the questions in order to know that he's your saviour and is re-stamping his image back on you today. You can know him right now just simply by responding to him in these moments, putting your trust in him, saying, Lord, I don't get it all, but I've got something this morning. I want to take this leap of faith. And believe in you. Because scripture says that he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Yeah, we want to try and explore and explain God and God just says, in the beginning. And then we see his unfolding revelation. But above all, he's made himself known in Jesus Christ. Let's stand, shall we? You know, the devil hates this. 
You may get it today. And carry it for weeks and months. And then you hit a point in time where the enemy comes in another way. And he tries to rob you of the truth of who God has made you to be. He would be happy to think for us to think of ourselves as animals and to behave as animals. But the Word of God says that He has made us in His image. He has breathed into us the breath of life. And even if you don't know Him this morning, there's something of God in you. Because every one of us lives and moves and in him. He's speaking to you this morning if you don't know him and he's saying, come. 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 The invitation is there. You haven't got to try and do anything. Just simply believe the message. Yes. <laughs> That's the thing. It's just believing the message. It says that those who just come and simply trust, he comes to them. He saves them, forgives them, cleanses them, gives them new life. And as we go through this series over the next six or seven weeks, you'll be discovering something more of that. So that in the last one in the series, we'll be looking at what it means to reign in life and not have life to reign over you. What a gospel. No wonder we call it good news. Maybe that you're a Christian this morning and you've lost sight of some of these truths and before you go out, you just need to seal the word in your heart to hear God say to you, I made you in my image. Yes, you fell. Yes, I have come and I have redeemed you. I am restoring my image in you. I want you to be an image bearer in this world. I want you to understand who you are, why you're here, what you're meant to be doing, where you're going. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the sciences. I thank you for every little aspect of this world that they've opened up to us. But at the end of the day, Lord, I know that they don't have the ultimate answer. Lord, we need revelation. Thank you for the revelation that we have in your word here. I pray that you'll help us to receive this revelation, to live in this revelation, and to be the people that you have called us to be. To know that we've been made in your image. Made to be like you. Made with... Huge responsibility, tremendous capacity made to serve the purpose of God in our generation. And Lord, at the end of it, we know that that's not all. Lord, we go to be with you. And one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so, Lord God, we just say thank you for this gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Thank you, Richard. Praise God.